All right, well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. You know, we're getting very close to the end of our series here in Ecclesiastes. We have this sermon, and then we're going to finish the book next week, and then shortly thereafter get into the book of Galatians together. But we're going to be in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes and working our way into chapter 12 together this morning. As an announcement, we are having a monthly prayer and worship service this next Wednesday night, and we're going to be doing this over Zoom. And so at the end of this video, we're going to have all the information that you need regarding that service. But um, it's going to be great to be able to get together over Zoom midweek and worship together and pray together. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. And also just want to remind you that you can give to apostles during this time in two ways. Of course, you can give to the church online, which many of you are doing. Thank you so much for that. Um, or if you'd rather, you can just mail a check to the church and take care of giving that way. Okay, so I can't tell you the precise age, but there does come a point in everyone's life when you are no longer excited about getting older. And that moment where you're no longer excited about getting older sort of splits your life in half. Before that moment, you are racing as quickly as you can ahead in life. You're so excited about getting older. When you're a little kid, it's, man, I can't wait until I can just stay up a little bit later at night. Or as you keep getting a little bit older, maybe it's, I can't wait to be able to spend the night at my friend's houses whenever I want. Or I can't wait to get a driver's license. Or I can't wait to be an adult and maybe start voting or being treated as an adult. Um, but again, then there comes this point in your life where you're no longer racing toward getting older. Instead, you're doing everything in your power to slow the aging process. You no longer look forward to celebrating that next birthday and certainly not that next milestone, whatever that next one is, in front of you. And the reason for this, of course, is because youth and the dawn of life are, are, are fun and, and they're exciting because you have so much to look forward to in your life. Whereas aging is difficult and you begin to get to a point in your life where you realize that so much of my life is already back behind me. It's fitting that Solomon here, as he transitions now into his last major subject of this book, is going to deal with the daunting and inevitable process of aging and death. And I just want to let you know that he has something for all of us this morning, no matter if you're young and you're listening to this message, or you're old, or you're somewhere in between, Solomon has something for us. What he wants to do is he wants to help all of us learn to love all of life. And that's the title of this sermon today, is Learning to Love All of Life. In order to do that, Solomon provides three commands for us to follow. Three commands to help us learn to love all of life. First, it's rejoice, and then it's remove, and finally, it's remember. Let's go ahead and read the text together, and you're going to see those key words, those commands in the text as we read, starting in verse 7 of chapter 11, and we'll read all the way down to verse 8 of chapter 12. Solomon writes this, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, 
And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, All is vanity. Father, this morning we want to commit our time together in your word to you. Father, we acknowledge again today our utter dependence on you for all things. Not the least of which is understanding of spiritual things. God, we invite you now to be our teacher, to speak to us, Holy Spirit, through this inspired text that we have just read. Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate accurately the things that are being taught here in this passage. And Lord, I pray that it would edify and encourage and instruct all of our hearts and all of our faith. Lord, I pray through this message that you would continue doing a great work in each of our minds and hearts, that you would continue transforming all of us into the image of Christ, that you would continue transforming us into people of wisdom, so that our lives might honor and glorify you and produce blessing and joy for us. And Lord, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So three commands here in this passage. The first one we see is rejoice, found in the first couple of verses there. Now in verse 7, he says that light is sweet, and he says that it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Many Californians, of course, flocked to our beaches last weekend and got out in the sun and reported that after spending that day in the sun, for so many of us, it was, it was life-giving. And that's because there is something amazing about being outside and having that sun beating on your skin. And it's even more amazing after six weeks of being sheltered in your home. The, the term there, light, and seeing the sun, it depicts being fully alive, having this kind of vigorous existence. And he says that being fully alive is sweet and it's pleasant. That word sweet there is used to refer to the sweetness of honey. And Solomon is saying that's what it's like being alive. It's sweet and it's pleasant. It's a good thing. The verse is essentially saying, listen, it is good to be alive. And so, how do we respond to this 
good thing that we have called life, we rejoice in it, he says. Rejoice in your life. This is the first command that he wants to give to us. And he's giving it to us whether we're young or we're old or we're somewhere in between. And verse 80 begins with the person who's older, who's advanced in in their years. And he's teaching us rejoice in your old age. He says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So if you're advanced in age, if you've got many years under your belt, Solomon's saying, look, you've got to rejoice in all of them. And he says that you want to do this before the days of darkness. Now, what is he talking about with days of darkness? Well, it could be referring to death. And what he would be saying if he is referring to death is enjoy all of your days knowing that you have only limited days to enjoy. Death is coming and then there's no more opportunity for you to enjoy life. Or it could also refer to old age. Notice the expression down in chapter 12 verse 1. Uh, The expression is different, but it could be communicating the same thing. He says there that there are evil days coming. And in context, he's clearly talking about old age. So he might here be referring with these days of darkness to old age. If that's the case, then what he's saying is, listen, older person, enjoy all of your days while you have them, being aware that there are going to come more difficult times, these days of darkness as you are getting up in age. Now the question becomes, why can a person who is advanced in age rejoice? It's well known that those are often very challenging years and and can be difficult. So what is it about being older that should cause you to rejoice? Well, I think probably the most basic reason is this. It's very simple and very obvious. You should rejoice in the fact that you've enjoyed a long life. I mean, you can look, especially if you're very advanced in age, you can look at all these other people, family members, friends that you grew up with, maybe colleagues that you once worked with, who are no longer here. And yet you are. They didn't get the blessing of advancing so far in years and being able to experience all the things that you've been able to experience in your life. And for many, you're blessed with children and grandchildren, perhaps even great-grandchildren, and those are experiences that aren't guaranteed to everyone. And so if you've been given a long life, the scriptures are saying rejoice in them. That is a great gift of God to you, despite the difficulties that are certainly there. But now in verse 9, he takes his attention in the complete opposite direction. No longer is he focusing on those who are older, those who are up in age. Now he's talking to young people and he's essentially saying, look, rejoice in your youth. Solomon writes, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. His point is this, look, if you're a younger person, don't squander it. It's a great gift to be young. Youthfulness is a great gift. These are precious years. Enjoy them while you can. They go so fast. I saw this statement by Terry Pratchett. It was quoted in a book called Living Life Backward. Terry writes, Inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. And that's got to be true, right? No matter how old you get, you still feel young at heart. And it goes so fast that as you advance in age, you probably sit and think, how is this happening so quickly? 
So the point is, look, if, if you're younger, don't waste those years. Don't waste that precious time. And today there are so many distractions for young people that can cause you to squander away the most fruitful and productive years of your life. Just being stuck, glued to a TV or a a phone that's in your hands, just watching videos or playing video games all day. And of course there's a place for that. But right now you have the advantage of energy and strength and probably relative good health. And there are so many things that you can do that someday you're not going to be able to do anymore. And you've got to take advantage of that. In fact, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. What does he mean there? Simply put, he means do the things right now that are going to bring your life joy. Do the things that, you, that, are, that are built up in your heart that you desire to do. Do them now while you have the time, the energy, and the ability to do them. Do what piques your interest. Now, somebody could say, well, I'm 15. What piques my interest is sleeping, and I understand that. But again, you want to embrace this season. You want to give yourself to the things that are going to bring joy to your life and enrich it. Now, I want you to notice that this isn't just, hey, go follow your heart. Hey, go do anything and everything that you might think could make you happy. This certainly isn't just a, well, go sow your wild oats while you're young. That's not what Solomon is saying at all. Notice that what he does is he qualifies this encouragement with this statement. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, young person, listen. As you are trying to understand, what are the things that are going to bring me joy in my life? What are the things that I should give myself to right now in an effort to rejoice in my life? You've got to allow the reality that God will judge your actions. God will judge your choices. You've got to let that reality help guide you in the decisions that you're making. The reality that one day you're going to to give God an account for everything that you've done in your life, that reality is what helps to kind of put guardrails up and parameters up for your life. Now, don't just think of judgment only in the negative sense, that, hey, if I make bad decisions, God's going to discipline me for that. God is also going to judge us for the good things that we have done. All the decisions that you might make as a young person to live a godly life, to do the right things, there is reward in heaven for those things. Allow that to motivate you in your youthful years to pursue God and to delight in things that God approves of. God will bless you for that. Living life for the Lord by following him is the path to a joyful life. And I know one of the challenges with being young, and I alluded to this in the introduction, is that you're always looking forward to that next thing, that next kind of benchmark in your life. And I just want to challenge you, don't don't sit and mope around that you're not quite there yet, that you're not where you think you want to be. Whatever season of life you're in right now, just enjoy it. Okay, if you are a kid right now, enjoy it. If you're a teenager right now, enjoy that season. There's a lot of blessing there. If you are a young adult, even if you're a young adult living at home right now, enjoy that. There's blessings there. If you're a young married, enjoy it. If you're a young family, now I'm preaching to myself, enjoy it. Yes, there are challenges, but there is so much good in every season. 
And we need to embrace that and enjoy it. Before I move on, I just, I just want to pause for a moment and draw your attention to this fact. Notice what God's doing here. God is commanding us to rejoice. God is commanding us to pursue joy. Admittedly, when most people think about the commandments of God, what their minds go to is they're thinking of all of the fun that God is trying to take away from them. But nothing could be further from the truth. God wants you to experience joy. God wants you to rejoice. God wants you to be happy and he wants to bless your life. In fact, you need to understand God is not ever out to ruin your fun. All of God's commands are are meant to be a blessing to your life. And the sooner you get that, the better. When you start leaning into God's commands and you start obeying God's commands in your life, that actually produces a life that you want to have. It's a life of blessing, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of relational harmony. So God is not out to ruin your fun. God is commanding us here, rejoice, and God wants you to enjoy life. So the first step to learning to love life and not just portions of your life, but to learn to love all of life is to rejoice. Embrace the fullness of a life lived for God. Second command, remove. We see it in verse 10. He says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. If you want to learn to love all of life, there are some things you've got to remove. Two things specifically that he points out, vexation and pain. Now the word vexation means anger, sorrow, grief, or frustration. The word pain there literally is evil. He's saying you want to remove evil, which of course leads to pain. And this is obviously important for all of us, but this is especially important for those who are younger. The choices that you are making right now are like seeds that you're taking and you're putting them into the ground. And they're going to grow up in your life and they are going to determine the type of future that you are going to have. If you're making good godly choices right now, You're putting those seeds into the soil of your life and one day you are going to reap a harvest of joy and happiness. But if what you're doing and the decisions that you're making is if you're making bad choices and you're making ungodly choices, you're putting those seeds into the ground. And now those are going to grow up in your life and what they're going to produce is a harvest of vexation and pain. And so Solomon is teaching all of us, but again, especially those who are younger right now, He's teaching us to remove vexation, remove pain from your life and from your future. What does that look like? Well, hanging out with the wrong friends. Of course, things like experimenting with drugs or sexual sin. Things like squandering your education, lying, cheating, being lazy, overworking and neglecting God and family marrying a bad spouse. I mean, there are so many different things, choices that you could be making that are going to be choices that will produce a lot of hardship potentially and frustration and pain in your future. Examples abound. All of these things catch up with you in your life. Notice Solomon says that youth and the dawn of life 
our vanity. Um, the phrase there, dawn of life, literally is translated blackness. It's referring to the color of a person's hair. In contrast to when you get older and your hair turns gray or in my case just falls out. Excuse me as I wipe a single tear from my cheek right now. But he says, look at these young years. He says they're vanity. They're, here's the word in Hebrew that we've been studying in this book. They're hebel, meaning that it's like a vapor of smoke that just appears for that moment and then boom, it's gone. And he says, look, your youth is like that. I know it feels like life is going to go on forever and I'll never get to that age or to that benchmark that I'm looking for. But someday you're going to be saying, where did all the time go? It goes so unbelievably fast. And so Solomon is saying, look, you need to live wisely now. Remove vexation, remove pain from your life. How do you do this well? I mean, how does a person start making the decisions that are good and godly so that you can remove vexation and pain from your life? Well, one important way is what we already talked about back in verse 9, by guiding our pursuits with the reality of God's judgment. Saying, look, what I want when it's all said and done out of my life is I want to live a life that I can stand before God and say, Lord, here's how I lived and, and received from the Lord his approval where God is saying, you, you've done well, good and faithful servant. But another important way is found in our third point, by remembering your creator. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we go there, let me address this question. What if, you, what if you're already much older and you're reaping lots of vexation and pain? As maybe I was giving some of those examples for younger people of bad decisions that they could make. Maybe you're saying, yeah, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and now I'm living with all of the consequences of that. What about me? What should I do? Well, there's a few things. First, what you need to do is you need to own those mistakes through confession. Don't blame shift. If you made poor decisions, if you made sinful decisions in your life and now you're reaping the consequences of that, don't blame shift. Don't act like that's not your fault. Own those things and confess your sins before the Lord. Until you can agree with God where you went wrong, there's no hope that you're ever going to start going in the right way. This is where healing begins. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that moment that you agree with God that you have broken his holy commands and you turn by faith to his Savior that he's provided, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, God wipes your slate clean and the process of healing begins. The next thing is, Begin removing any additional pain and vexation by starting to live God's way now. Turn from your sins through repentance. It's not just enough to say, I'm going to acknowledge that I've made a bunch of bad decisions in my life that have reaped the whirlwind now, but then keep going on doing those same things. You've got to actually repent. And that word simply means to change direction. You've been living in sin, living a certain way, and God is saying, don't do that anymore. Come follow me. Come live the way that I've designed you to live your life. And this is where, again, healing comes from. Acts 3, 19 and 20 tells us, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And of course, that refreshing will come in eternity. 
Because if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, then when you stand in eternity, you are, you are going to experience no more pain, no more vexation, no consequences for your sin. But God is so gracious that oftentimes that refreshing even works its way into the here and now. That God begins to um, restore what the locust has devoured in our life, to use an Old Testament scripture. That God can take the things that we, have, that we have messed up and he can actually start repairing and bringing healing and restoration. But finally, how do you respond to that? Again, if you've kind of made a bit of a mess of things in your life, it's confession, it's repentance, and then it's this. It's look forward to your future in Christ where all pain and all vexation are finally removed. Friend, listen, because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he came to this earth and he lived a perfectly righteous life and then he willingly laid down his life on the cross where he received the punishment and the pain and vexation that he didn't deserve but you and I deserve for our sins because Christ has done that. Those of us who are now united to Christ by faith are no longer going to experience the pain and vexation that we honestly deserve. And so we can rest in that and take heart in that. But not only that, we can also, as I said, look forward to our future in Christ. Because thankfully, Jesus, after dying on the cross, rose again from the grave. And Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus promises that he's going to return. And that when he returns, he is going to set everything right. And he's going to remake the heavens and the earth. And all pain and all vexation will be banished forever. And you, my friend, are going to have a glorified body. You, my friend, are going to have peace and you're going to have harmony. You're going to have a perfect spouse and his name is Jesus. Everything is going to be awesome. So take heart. Okay, so... If we're going to learn to love all of life, we've got to rejoice. We've got to remove, and now finally, we've got to remember. He says in verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember your Creator, he writes. Now, the term Creator is significant. David Gibson writes this, he says, Remembering your creator means remembering that God made a good world, not an evil one, and that we are the ones responsible for spoiling it, not he. Remembering God as creator means taking my place in the world in the appropriate way and not demanding for myself more than it is my right to have. A couple things there that he points out. First, remembering your creator means that we need to remember that we're the ones that are responsible for what is wrong in the world, not God. God created the world good. Through our sin, we as the human race have spoiled this good creation. But again, as we talked about a moment ago, in Christ, God is remaking this spoiled creation and he will restore all things. But we also saw in what Gibson wrote that we are dependent creatures. You're not God. I'm not God. We're not independent. We're not autonomous. We are completely dependent on our creator. So Solomon is saying, remember your creator. Remember your place in the universe. You are not God. He is. So trust him. 
remembering your creator, also suggests living your life in right relationship with him. To do otherwise would be to ignore our creator or turn our back on our creator. But he's saying, remember your creator. Live the way God has called you to. Live in right relationship with him through faith in Jesus. Now notice again that Solomon here emphasizes remembering your creator while you're young. He says before the evil days come. And he's referring there to old age. Now, Evil here is not a moral reference. He's not saying that when you get older that that's bad or sinful. The reference of evil here is to troubling or difficult days that are going to come. And he kind of spells out a lot of those difficulties in verses 2 through 6. Now these verses, 2 through 6, are a very colorful and poetic expression or description rather of old age. Beyond that, students of Scripture do not agree on every detail. But again, they do, they do agree that Solomon is employing this amazing poetic language to describe the process of getting older or of old age. So one way of understanding this passage is like this. In verse 2, Solomon is referring to a person's eyesight beginning to fail. He says the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. So your eyesight is beginning to fail. He says that the clouds, in verse 2, return after the rain. Now normally after the rain comes, the clouds go away and the sun comes back out. But he says the clouds return after the rain. In other words, there's this permanent fog. Again, it could be a reference to the fact that your vision never clears back up, that it's always blurry. Or some scholars would suggest that maybe he's referring to the loss of mental powers. Kind of that idea of having a foggy memory about things that have happened. In verse 3, he speaks of the keepers of the house trembling. And he's referring there to your hands, which obviously maintain the house. Scripture calls your body a tent, a dwelling place. And the keepers of the house are your hand. That's how you provide for yourself. That's how you protect yourself from danger. And he says that the keepers of the house begin to tremble. So that as you advance in years, your arms begin to tremble. He says in verse 3 as well that strong men are bent, depicting the major muscles in your leg, your legs rather, and your back that weaken. And as you get older, you begin to bend over a little bit. He says also in verse 3 that the grinders cease because they are few, referring to your teeth. Obviously, as you get older, uh, oftentimes teeth fall out, you have less teeth, and he's describing that process. He says, those who look through the windows are dimmed. Again, here referring to the eyes, but dimmed probably is not referring to your your struggles to see anymore, but rather the look of your eyes, that your eyes have become sort of hazy. Perhaps he's even referencing glaucoma as you get older. Now, verse 4, he says that the doors on the street are shut. This is a reference to a person's ears. We see that because he goes on to say that the sound of the grinding in the streets is low. The things that you used to be able to perceive or hear are are a struggle for you now. You've become hard of hearing as you've gotten older. And then, of course, he points out one of the ironies of getting older with your hearing is even though it's more difficult for you to hear things, in the night, if you hear a noise, it startles you and wakes you up. He says that they They're startled or they wake up from 
a bird of the air making noise. And so, of course, as you get older, you struggle and the slightest noise can wake you up from your sleep. And it's a challenge for you. In verse 5, he refers to the fear of heights and a general fear of dangers. Of course, as you get older, you feel a little bit less certain than you did when you were younger. And things that you used to be willing to go out and uh, adventure into, a crowded place, a busy concert, um, a crowded beach, or other normal adventures or things that you'd rather kind of shy away from now because you just don't feel quite as certain and strong as you used to. He says the almond tree blossoms as well in verse 5. Almond trees, as they begin to blossom, oftentimes turn silver or white. It's a reference to, again, the graying or whitening of a person's hair. Then he says the grasshopper drags itself along. Another way to translate that is the grasshopper is a burden. This might be a reference to how even something that is super light has now become a burden. It's heavy for you to pick up. Another way to interpret this idea of the grasshopper dragging itself along, uh, especially if, if that phrase is connected to the very next phrase, which is desire fails. Um, the grasshopper dragging itself along might be a euphemism for impotence in old age. Matt Chandler humorously pointed out that Solomon notoriously loved women, and he manages here to put the loss of sexual appetite dead last. Chandler says, and I quote, he has no teeth, he cannot move, he cannot see, he cannot hear, and finally, he's not interested in sex anymore, end quote. He says that man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. Finally, Solomon is getting to the end of the journey of human existence. He gets to death. In verse 6, he writes this. I'll read it again for us. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now, some scholars suggest that all four of those items that he just listed there are receptacles for water. And we know in Scripture that water is a metaphor for life. Here's 2 Samuel 14, 14. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. And so if all four of these items are receptacles for water, it's a reference to life. And then, of course, all four of these items are breaking or falling apart, which is a reference to the end of life. Now, others suggest that the first two items, the silver cord and the golden bowl, are a hanging lamp that shatters and the light goes out. Well, as we talked about back in chapter 11, verse 7, light is also a metaphor for life. So both light and water are metaphors for life in the scriptures. So if the lamp breaks and the water pitcher shatters, the verse is pointing to death. This, of course, is made clear by the following phrase in verse 7 when he writes, And the dust returns to earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, verses 1 through 7 are a big, long, run-on sentence. And some scholars suggest that the experience of reading the whole thing aloud causes you to run out of breath. And they say that perhaps that was intentional by Solomon to sort of mirror the process of aging and getting to the end and dying. As we age and as we get closer, it gets harder and it gets harder until you run out of gas. 
But his point in this long sentence is remember your creator while you're young, before old age, and certainly before death. Three different times in this one sentence, he uses the word remember. You can sense the urgency in his voice. He's saying, look, remember before it's too late, before this comes into your life, before this experience happens, before old age really sets in. Remember your creator. Remember before it's too late. And you get older and you get set in your ways. That's one of the telltale signs that you are getting older is that you love routine. You're stuck in your ways. You, of course, eat at the exact same restaurants. You order the exact same meal. Now, I understand that I'm still very much on the younger spectrum, but I did have a weird moment about a year and a half ago because for the first time in my life, I went to a restaurant that I frequent and I sat down and the waitress said, do you want a menu? And I said, no, that's okay. I'll have. And I just ordered what I always order at that restaurant. And I thought, have I really come to this place? I used to love every time I got in a restaurant, exploring the entire menu, seeing if something new piqued my interest, but I'm over it now. I just want the same thing. But you begin following the same routines. You shop at all the same stores. And here's the real key for what Solomon wants to drive home to us is you're less likely to change your mind. Older people get set in their ways. And so Solomon is challenging you. Do not put off committing yourself to the Lord for some time in the future that you think might become more convenient because guess what? That day may never come. Even if you have the best of intentions, hey, I'll sort all this out someday. I'm going to figure this out. Guess what? You might not be given that chance. Of course, on one hand, you might die before that point. Nobody's guaranteed to live a long life. But again, what I'm trying to emphasize here is even if you do live a long life, oftentimes we get settled in our ways of thinking, we get settled in our beliefs, and you might find that you never, ever commit yourself entirely to the Lord. So Solomon's saying, look, lay the right foundation now while you're young. Well, as Solomon here closes his final major section in Ecclesiastes, he brings us to the end of life, to death. Dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Eventually, all of our lives are going to end there. Nobody gets a pass on this. All of us journey toward death. All of us will be like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. The lights go out. The game is over. Or is it? In John chapter 7, Jesus also used water as a metaphor for life. Listen to John 7, 37 through 39. This is remarkable. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. How radical. According to Samuel and according to Solomon, we're all running on a limited water supply. Someday like water spilled on the ground or like a pitcher of water shattering open, all of us are going to come to the end of our life. But not so for Jesus. 
Jesus says that he can offer you an unlimited supply of water. Jesus is saying there in John chapter 7 that what he and he alone can do is he can unearth inside of you a spring of living water that will never, ever run dry. This is available to anyone who puts their faith in him. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God inside of us. And of course, God himself is the source of life. And so if you have God inside of you dwelling in you, then of course you're going to live on forever and ever and ever. And that's exactly what Jesus promised. This is why Jesus could say that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is amazing. This is such great news for us. Yes, we all have to meet death, but death is not the end. Through faith in Jesus Christ, after we die, yes, our spirit returns to our creator, but we stand before our creator in Christ, and because of that, we continue to live on forever. We are united to God himself. It's amazing, but it's true. Solomon's entire point here in this whole teaching has been for you and I to prepare ourselves to meet our creator. Prepare yourself for death. And for those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we are prepared. So if you're younger, listening to this sermon, and you've put your faith in Jesus, rejoice. You're prepared to meet him whenever that comes and enjoy the life that God has given to you. Live life to the fullest. Live life for the glory of God. And if you're older this morning, and you're a Christian, you're in the sunset years of your life, this is an especially sweet promise for you. That in Christ, death is not the end. Rejoice. You are prepared to return to your creator whenever he calls you home. And because of Jesus, your best days are all ahead of you. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel. We are so thankful, Lord, that although all of us will have to journey down what for most is a very difficult path of aging and of course death, Lord, we are so thankful that you did not create this world for death that you created a world full of life and that the pinnacle of your, of your creation, human beings created in your own image, were created to live forever with you. Of course, our first parents spoiled that in the garden and every one of us has continued on that same path of choosing to sin and choosing death over life in you. But God, because of your unfathomable love, you would not leave us in a state of ruin. So God, 2,000 years ago, you came to this earth. You became a man. You lived among us. And you fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law for us. And then Jesus, you laid down your life on the cross for us to remove our sins so that we could be restored to fellowship with God again. And of course, three days later, you rose from the grave, triumphing over our great enemy. 
And now for all of us who have put our faith in you, we will live with you forever. We rejoice in that. We love you. We're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us. And Lord, it's because of what you've done for us that we can rejoice in all of life's circumstances. And so we choose to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, church family. Have a wonderful Sunday.